0: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We got a Power Hour Monday show for you as shot, we take shot, you into shot, some shot, MLB <laughs> MLB baseball goodness. Uh, Yeah, Fitz, uh, you're in L.A. real quick, so did you yell shots, shot, shots, because that was an order for the waitress near you, or was that a suggestion for our Power Hour?
1: It was a suggestion for Power Hour. Like, what we got to do when we do these Power Hour shows is come up with a word that every time we use it, the responsible adults that are listening of age take within reason a small amount of (laughs) alcohol to consume. Adult beverage. You like how how Disney I made that suddenly. Yes. That's the difference between this show and Watch What Happens Live. But, you know, I I think we get a little uh, beverage action going on these power hours, but not for us because by the end of it, like I already can't read. You put that much in my body by the end of it, I'm done.
0: We should have some shirtless bartenders, though. Like, Watch What Happens. I don't know why we're not doing that. That seems like a real miss. Maybe because it's an audio medium? Potentially. (laughs) Spain and fit. It's ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Uh, Let's get into a little of the fun MLB stuff going on. It's time for the Progressive MLB Snapshot. We've got the Derby. Now, there is, uh, it's introducing some questions that came up for me when I first heard that Rob Manfred was using his sort of Uh, executive powers, I guess I should say, to add some old schoolers to the all-star game. Albert Pujols and Miguel Cabrera added under, um, I I don't know if it's a new rule, but it's a provision in the new labor agreement that allows him to throw in some some of his own choices. Let's just start there because Pujols will be part of the derby tonight. Do you like that? 42 years old for Pujols, uh, 39 for Cabrera. Uh, First time for Cabrera since 2016. First time for Pujols since 2015. Great opportunity for fans to see them maybe one last time. That part I like. I just can't decide if this game should be about who's crushing right now or you know, somewhat of a lifetime achievement for the fans to see the guys they've loved for a while.
1: Yeah, there is absolutely no reason this should be a lifetime achievement for me at at all. And this speaks to one of the things that I think is – the most challenging for baseball in general because baseball fanatics are such historians, they love the opportunity to go back and appreciate careers for people. And I understand that. I appreciate that. But at some point, you have to look at it and say, what's the point of what this is trying to do? If you want to bring in people for one last go at it, if you want to sort of gift people in, then find a different experience that lets them be a part of something without taking away from the actual meaning of being an all-star. Like an all-star, to me, it has so much honor around it. And when you think about what it takes, no matter what your sport is, to get to the highest level, and then from on top of that, to get to the point that you are an all-star. And then you, you think about the way we put sort of gravitas to that when we talk about the legacy of players. I, I'm not somebody that particularly cares about most all-star games, but legacy does. And so you start to dumb down the entire product if you just start going willy-nilly and adding people just because it'll add more spice to your game. You don't need it. Instead of focusing on people that maybe you're cramming in, you've got to find a way to make sure that you're giving the most platform possible to the best players. It, it, that's simple to me.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that I understand it's an event for the fans, especially now that we've removed that it decides a home field advantage for the World Series. It's an event for the fans, so bringing out some players where it might be their last shot to see them. There's a part of me that gets that nostalgia, and I think if it was some of my Cubs players on one last run, I might feel differently. I can admit that bias. But on the other hand, I do think I don't want anyone left out because – they don't have the lifetime achievement and this might be their one shining moment, their peak performance. They might get hurt. They might get traded. They might get, you know, they might just drop in productivity and this might be their one shot to really be honored for having an amazing year. And so that's where I'm, I'm sort of stuck. So we'll ask you guys at Sarah Spain at Jason Fitz, you know, between Pujols and Cabrera being added to Kershaw getting the start over Alcantara. It feels sort of like it's a combo of who's crushing it right now. And also lifetime achievement. What should it be? Um, Quickly, tune in for Major League Baseball's Home Run Derby as baseball's best sluggers vie for long ball supremacy. Coverage begins tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. A lot of storylines in that one before we get uh, to Kershaw. Obviously, Pujols. Can the old man pull it out? Uh, Pete Alonso going for a third straight, uh, which is pretty unbelievable. Um, I'll be obviously looking for uh, my boy, Kyle Schwarber, who used to be part of the Cubs, uh Schwabe Ruth as I call him. Um who are you <laughs> keeping your eye on? We I got just Sh- love Schwabe Ruth <laughs> Shwayb, is awesome. Schwabe Ruth. Uh, we got Kyle Schwarber, we got Albert Pujols. Um
1: I want I want wait. an upset like I need Ronald Acuna Jr. to okay. go off. Like I, okay. I, I like I like personality. He's got a lot of it. Like that's what this whole event is about. You know, for me, I, I whoever's got the sauce after the hit is like who I, that's who I want through ah, and through. So swag. give me, okay. yeah, give me, give me somebody that's going to give me like extra shimmies and and really have the best sort of time doing what they're doing. Because I've been around a couple of all star, a couple of the home run derbies, and I think that there's just a difference in the way that the whole game is watched. The whole event, I should say, is watched. And how it's sort of celebrated. So I want I want people that are going to be celebrating every ounce of the moment. Acuna Jr. feels like he's going to be that. Plus, maybe a little trash talking going there too. So I'm in on yeah, that.
0: Yeah, I like the swag and something like this. And I think you get loose during it and recognize that it's for fun, and that makes it easier to do. I'm also a little bit interested in some of the people who have something to prove. So to your point, you've got like maybe Pujols as an old man, maybe Pete trying to win a third time, but you've also got Juan Soto who is very uncomfortable right now with all the trade rumors swirling around and maybe has something to prove if the Nationals don't want to give him what he's looking for, other teams that are trying to watch and see what he's got. Not that we don't already know that Juan Soto's a superstar, but he could could prove something here tonight as well. It's Spain and Fitz, Air Spain, Jason Fitz. We got the Derby. I mentioned Clayton Kershaw getting the All-Star game start deep down I got no problem with it it's at Dodger Stadium he's a lifetime great maybe this is one of the last times and certainly the last time he'll be able to do it starting at Dodger Stadium but I also recognize that there's an argument for Alcantara and there's an argument for Kershaw being a sentimental choice instead of the fair one Kershaw's thrown 71.2 innings this year Sandy Alcantara has thrown 138.1 nearly twice and has a better ERA Alcantara has 13 straight starts of seven plus innings. Clayton has 12 total starts. So I understand if you're a fan of Alcantara and you're like, it's not fair to pick a guy because of who he is. Here's what Clayton Clayton Kershaw said about him getting the nod.
2: I really didn't think anything of it at the time. I was like, well, yeah, it'd be fun to do it or whatever. But now that it's finally here and I get to uh, start that game tomorrow night, it just uh, it means a lot. And uh, it means a lot to my family. We're excited. Charlie's excited. My kiddos are excited. So we're gonna we're gonna have a good time tomorrow, and hopefully I don't screw it up too bad.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, it's not a playoff game against the Cubs, so you should be fine. Uh, what do you think wow. about it, it... this decision?
1: <laughs> Look, and this is again like this is glorious for the storyline, but. Who's baseball typically for so often? Is it for the people in the stadium or is it for the viewing audience? And that's one of the questions we ask for every single sport. But to me, for everybody that's watching all over the world for this moment, the best of the best get the best spots. And so while I appreciate the sentimentality and the concept of Kershaw coming out and starting and being at home and what that's going to mean for everybody that's there and all the Dodgers fans in L.A., I get all of those stories, and I still am cold-hearted enough to go, meh. Because for all of the Major League Baseball fans everywhere that are watching it, you got to ask your question, like, why? And and every point you just made is a valid one. This is another one of those moments where I I think you're playing to the wrong audience. Like, just give me the best of the best in the best spots.
0: Yeah. Uh, The other thing to keep an eye on tonight, by the way, is – well, not tonight, but uh, over the course of this entire MLB festivities, the game – is Wilson Contreras and his brother William Contreras? They're hitting back to back in the game. It'll be the first time brothers are starting in an All Star game together in a billion years, and hearing Wilson talk about what it means to him is pretty awesome. Priceless. priceless? Yes, this is
2: priceless. For me, for my brother, and my family, this is something that I will never forget. I know this is my, tel- my, my third All Star game, but is the f- is. The most special one.
0: the
2: Because of my brother. We all grew up together. Uh, we had a tough road to, to get to the big leagues, and I take pride of that. We did, we've we been doing a great job together.
0: Yeah, I mean, Wilson's been through a lot even since he's been in the bigs, uh, fighting for the um, tough times back home in Venezuela, selling Freedom for Venezuela t-shirts when he's been with the Cubs. And he talked about with his brother having just a plastic ball and a stick and, and and dreaming of the bigs and they've both made it and to be able to hit back to back in the all-star game together pretty awesome i'm super yeah mic him up them. by the way sarah gotta yes. mic him up i, oh, want, I, I the, want all I mean, of this I and they're all very the emotional trash. guys wilson is yeah. known to cry about a number of things and he gets very emotional with fans and uh he's a really heartfelt guy so that'll be awesome uh this is the mlb progressive snapshot brought to you by progressive insurance a triple threat of threat of protection with home auto and more visit progressive.com coming up can fitz book a ticket right now or book a tattoo appointment right now? to watch his Raiders in the Super Bowl and declare them champs. We'll talk about it next.
2: is ESPN Radio's NFL Tour days the Las Vegas Raiders. This has been building for quite some time, and it stems back to Devontae Adams' unhappiness with Green Bay and the way that they treated him during this contract negotiation. Tampa Bay went all-in with Tom Brady. They won the Super Bowl. The Rams went all-in. They won the Super Bowl. I'm not predicting the Raiders win a Super Bowl, but they're going all-in. This is an offensive coordinator's dream. This is going to be fun to watch, and the Las Vegas Raiders are going to be a very difficult offense to stop.
1: I'm not sure how my voice wasn't in that rejoin somewhere. Whew, a little hurt. i of talked to some people. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect the stuff you love with renter's insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, when you start talking about two-a-days, there are certain days you just got to say, praise God, I was made for today. One of those teams is my beloved Raiders out of Vegas. And, Sarah, I'm just – you know, we we usually bring experts on. But I figured instead of doing that, I would wax philosophically. Because we've we've worked together enough years. You know that every year I've been uh, fairly – I'm what they say at least realistic. So I've been within one win every year we've worked together on where the Raiders were going to end their season. So I've I've been within one year. Like when, when they brought back John Gruden, I said I didn't think that was going to work. The couple of years there, I said they were going to be a pretty bad team while they rebuilt. I've been pretty right about all of that. Last year, I predicted that they would go to the playoffs. They did go to the playoffs. So <laughs> I feel like I've been on track. So this year, I feel like super bowl like at least they're in the conversation it's whoa, hard whoa. for me to accept it and whoa, whoa, say it out whoa, loud whoa, but they are whoa, whoa. in that conversation
0: okay uh mm-hmm. as tony Reilly likes to say on around the horn we're having the conversation right now so you don't have to say they're in the conversation if you've introduced them to the conversation now i actually like what the raiders are bringing to the table i think we've spent a lot of and as as a as a end result of starting our two a days with the teams with the worst records and moving up we've ended up talking about a lot of teams who hinged on a lot of quarterbacks needing to get it figured out either because they were bad because they didn't have one or they were bad because they were a bad team with a high draft pick and have a young exciting new quarterback that you're trying to get a read on we're getting to the point now in these two days where we've got to teams that were good last year I'd have expectations to do pretty well this year. And that's the Raiders. I mean, they're coming back with a lot of talent. They added Devontae Adams, which is going to be insane for Carr. They figured out uh, you know, the coaching situation, and we don't know whether that was, you know, Gruden was helping on the field in a disaster off of it or otherwise, but... They've got a little bit more consistency there. In theory, there can't possibly be as many off-the-field issues as last year, knock on wood, uh, because there were so many tragedies and incidents around that team, that I agree with you. There's a real opportunity for this team to thrive. My only concern is the concern that everybody else has, which is there are a lot of teams in the AFC that are set to thrive. And so you could have a great team that you feel very confident about and still look around and say, okay, well, the Broncos now have Russell Wilson, and the Chargers are taking a step forward with Herbert. The Chiefs are the Chiefs. That's just your own division. That's not the rest of the conference.
1: No, you're not wrong about that, and I think the Chargers are going to win the division, and all of these teams are going to beat each other up. But once you get to the playoffs... I mean, at some point, what we saw last year, I think was the Bengals went in on saying, hey, our offensive line may not be good, but we're going to have so many other weapons that we're going to trust that we can get it done. I don't know if the Raiders' offensive line is going to be good enough, but I know they don't have to be spectacular this year. When you think about what last year was, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro, both very, at this point, very known players for NFL fans, but Hunter Renfro runs routes that take a long time to develop. So if your offensive line isn't good, Derek Carr's going to get murdered while he tries to actually throw the football. Now, because Devontae Adams is going to be there, he can get rid of the ball even faster. And defenses won't be able to figure out how to account for any of it. So I think the Raiders, it would be a massive disappointment to me if the Raiders don't have a top-five offense in yards and in scoring this year because that's what Josh McDaniels is supposed to bring, and they have enough talent for it. So now it just becomes a question of can the defense even hold up? And I think the answer to that is when you have two elite pass rushers, yeah, you can hold up. The Chargers are a more talented team, but I think the Raiders are, are close to where they are, and just by that, it'll put them in the playoff conversation, and that, in and of itself, they're too explosive not to think that they can they can beat or hang with anybody in the AFC.
0: It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz, presented by Progressive Insurance. Protect the stuff you love with renter's insurance. Visit Progressive.com. So I want to ask you, because you're inside of everything, uh, and there's other stuff I want to get to, so sort of quickly, if you can... Why do you think there are so many questions around Derek Carr being quote-unquote elite or not? And why do you think your position on him has always been a bit higher than the general one, other I than think your the, bias? Uh,
1: well, uh, the the reason that my position on him has been higher is if you go back and look at the last four or five years and then chart who his number one wide receiver has been for the majority of the year is people that two years later aren't even in the league, right? Like So he's throwing to nobody. So the one year that he had great weapons was the year in 2016 that he had Michael Crabtree and Amari Cooper, and they both had incredible years. He put up 28 touchdowns and six picks that year, had a – Massive year. So that's part like when we've seen somebody perform at the highest possible level with great weapons, then I believe they can do that. So that's why I'm higher on him than most. And that's part of why I think they have a real shot at this point to be like, I would put money on Derek Carr to be in the MVP conversation because if he's not, then this offense has failed. And I don't think that's because Derek Carr is necessarily epic, it's because there's too much around him not to be very good.
0: Okay. So let's switch to something that there's more questions about, and that's the stuff that isn't consistent from last year's excellent team to this year that includes a new gm and dave ziegler we've kept hearing about random front office disruptions there and i think there's still some pending potential uh lawsuits right accusations of of folks uh not not feeling like they were listened to when they tried to mandatory report uh harassment and other things so that's something to keep an eye on so you've got a new gm you've got a new head coach in josh mcdaniels like i mentioned devonta adams you got d uh dn chandler jones Um, What do you make of the new additions on the field and also the the front office and staff changes?
1: I think Mark Davis decided he was going to give them full autonomy to do what they want to do and spend whatever money they needed to. And that's what the team has done. So, you know, frankly, Chandler Jones, I think, is a a huge addition for this team and what he's going to bring. But uh, Ziegler and McDaniels are on the same page. And that in and of itself is refreshing after years of seeing it go back and forth. There's still talent. There's still gaps on this team defensively, particularly where they need help, but they've addressed a lot of it in one offseason.
0: Yeah, and you're excited about McDaniels? I am.
1: I think, you know, he's admitted his faults, which is particularly difficult, right? When you come in and say, hey, I've been a a great leader of men and I'm lucky enough to know some people around the organization. I have not heard a single negative word about either of them, and I can't say that in previous regimes. Short of Rich Passaccia, who, by the way, is still beloved by everybody around that team, Like, I think that part of what is needed to change, to your point, Sarah, with some of the other issues are, are huge cultural changes, and it feels like McDaniels and Ziegler are bringing in the attitude that people are buying into to fix that.
0: Okay, so let's recircle back to the beginning. Recircle? Just circle back. Yeah, see, uh, yeah. Super Bowl is what we're going with.
1: Yeah, as long... Uh, the, the the main question this team's going to have is, can the secondary hold up, can the safeties develop, and do they have enough corners to play? Those are big question marks, but when you can get after the quarterback the way they can, I think that can mask that deficiency while they figure out the rest of the answers. Also, wouldn't be surprised, even though they have a ton of defensive tackles, uh, to see maybe Indama who being part of the conversation mm. if they don't mm-hmm. separate themselves in training camp. So, I think the Raiders are just getting started. They still have over $20 million of cap room. More will be added. In fact, I think we should should ask an expert and one of our favorites to chime in on his thoughts for my bold prediction we'll do it next plus we'll break down the Patriots Spain and Fitz on ESPN radio and the ESPN app
0: It's Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. It's a power hour on this Monday night. The road to the rematch is on as Bantamweight champ Juliana Pena and former champ Amanda Nunes go head-to-head as coaches on the historic 30th season of The Ultimate Fighter. Stream the series now exclusively on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. We continue our NFL 2 days It's time for the Patriots.
2: This is ESPN Radio's NFL 2 days the New England Patriots. I looked across the AFC East. These rosters are not far behind the New England Patriots anymore. The Bills obviously being better, and I would go as far as saying Miami has a better roster. Last year, they wanted to bring Mac along as a rookie. But this year, I, I just feel like there's been a shift. It's like... Mac, be that leader. I think it's fair to say that the expectation is raised for Mac entering year two, which Bill Belichick always says, that's the year players usually make their biggest jumps.
0: All right, if you were around for the last segment, you know that Fitz is out of his GD mind, and he thinks his Raiders are going all the way. So we needed to bring in a hall monitor of sorts, a... uh, a field official, if you'll pardon the pun. Oh, field oh, Yates, oh, well who is with done. us. He has to be an NFL insider. We're going to get to the Patriots because it is two-a-days, but I just need you to throw a little cold water on our boy Fitz. Do you think there's any shot his Raiders are going all the way?
2: I, I have a hard time seeing it happening, Sarah. And I, I know that Fitz and you are so kind to bring me on your radio show, and here I am just throwing cold water on Fitz's hopes and dreams right now. I think the biggest roadblock for the Raiders is not one that they have unto themselves. It's one that's shared amongst many, which is that the AFC looks like an absolute nightmare this year for every team. Really? The Raiders could easily playoffs, maybe even win their division, they could also easily finish dead last in their own division. And I'm not sure I would be totally stunned. So Well, I do think the Raiders have a lot of important pieces. I think that probably the primary concerns and objectives that I have would be, how does the offensive line take shape? There are a couple of moving parts that they're still trying to sort through. And this is not, again, unique to them, but for every defense in the AFC West, how do they handle a division that the four quarterbacks are all guys that could easily make the Pro Bowl this year?
0: Fitz, I know Dude, your name you- was invoked, but there's not time for you to respond about your Raiders. We need I know, to move on I know. to the Patriots. I'm
1: just going to say iron sharpens iron field, and then I'm going <laughs> to ask you. Uh, the, now we'll switch gears to the Patriots. There we go. At least <laughs> I got a word in there. Uh, tell me what you, what we can realistically take away from Mac Jones. What did you see in year one that you think tells us anything about who to expect in year two with the new offensive coordinator?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the funny part is that people, for some reason, look for, re- look for reasons to underplay Mac Jones's success as a rookie. And we do this. It happens all the time across the board, both positively and negatively. But Mac Jones and the Patriots struggled down the stretch. They finished 10-7. and seven, They still make the playoffs. Then they got walloped by the build in the first round in a game in which it was not really close. Um, but Mac Jones was clearly the best quarterback amongst the rookies last year. During an historic year for them in the draft. Now, I know the obvious counterpoint is that in terms of structure and infrastructure and players around him, Mac Jones had the best supporting cast, but I'm not here. I I don't think any of us sit here and say, like, Mac Jones was throwing to Jerry Rice and Randy Moss in his prime, right? He threw, I thought, really, I thought he made supreme strides from start to finish last year, plays with a ton of confidence. And, you know, the Patriots are an interesting roster right now. They may not have, at least going into the season, a player who is universally regarded at top five at his position, but they seem to be pretty solid in a lot of spots. You know they're going to be well coached. I know the offensive coordinator mystery remains, but I think this team is part of that mix of a team that we should not be surprised if they make the playoffs. But it won't be easy, and it wouldn't be a surprise if it's week 16 or 17 or even 18, and the Patriots are still amongst those teams when you get the weekly what-if scenarios that are involved.
0: It's Spain and Fitz, we're talking to Field Yates, and NFL Insider, as we continue our two-a-days Talking Patriots, yeah, I mean, listen, as somebody who was watching their own rookie quarterback and looking across to Mac Jones, middle of the pack is pretty good for things like touchdown to interception, um, average length of pass, things like that. Like, he he was in the mix uh, for a tough league in his very first year, and there's expectations for him to step it up in the next year. Let's switch to the other side of the ball. Patriots quarterback Jonathan Jones tweeted out, positionless football is the future. Uh, that's terrifying. I can't decide why, though, because either it sounds like a terrible idea or it's the Patriots, so somehow they've evolved the sport ahead of everyone else. First, we're hearing of it.
2: Yeah, I was going to say, is it? uh, I can't remember when I last heard him say that, because I think I saw this tweet at some point previously, and it's either resurfaced or he's just tweeted it again. And yeah, I don't think we'll ever get to the point where we are totally positionless in football, but... I think we're sort of seeing the tentacles of where we're at in the game of basketball, right? It's, you know, it's either it's bigs, ball handlers, and wings. And in the NFL, because you've got a player, like as an example, Travis Kelsey, who may function as basically a wide receiver, even though he's listed as a tight end, and I mean that in a complimentary way, Like how on defense are you supposed to counterbalance him? The answer is probably not with just a cornerback, probably not with just a safety, but perhaps a player that sort of toes the line in between them. So I think it is possible that on passing plays, we're going to be soon looking at players that are rushers, those that are cover men, and then those that are sort of utility players in between. And then, you know, running plays for the same idea there. So, Positionless football probably isn't the way things are going to ever wind up, but if there were a team that were to find that gray area between safeties and cornerbacks, linebackers and safeties, defensive linemen and outside linebackers, it will
1: be the Patriots. That being said, I mean, J.C. Jackson was the prize of free agency because of his talent. He goes to the Chargers. How do the Patriots replace somebody that important?
2: Yeah, the Patriots are sort of going back to their roots here with some of their departures, you know, for so many years. And I'll talk about the Tom Brady factor in a second. But for so many years, the Patriots kind of made their hay on knowing when to let a player test the market and finding ways to fill in for that player. And it was one of the great, great attributes of of the 20 years of success that they had. And I think to reduce it to, well, you just had Tom Brady is a little bit... I mean, that is oversimplifying things. I mean, there have been countless players over the years that really nobody knew about, and then the Patriots kind of unearthed them. Um, And I think that's kind of where they're going down the road with J.C. Jackson because the team did not make an aggressive play in free agency for anybody. They did add Terrence Mitchell first, and then eventually, of course, old friend Malcolm Butler is back in the draft. It took a kid named Jack Jones out of Arizona State in the third round, a talented guy. But, you know, third round, probably for uh, fourth round, excuse me, for a reason. Um, so I think that the Patriots cornerback group is one to watch as we get closer to the end of training camp. Uh, I think there will be a couple of players that either are released because of roster crunches or salary considerations later on in the month. And maybe the teams would be one of those, uh, maybe the Patriots would be one of those teams that would offer the opportunity for playing time because uh, their cornerback depth chart just a little, does look a little bit thin right now.
0: It's Spain and Fitzfield, Yates is with us talking Patriots for two-a-days. Okay, so you said you could see the Patriots being in it down the stretch, a team that's still in the playoff hunt. What position or even player, besides the obvious like Mac Jones, are you watching and saying, if this phase, if this group of players steps up and plays above expectations or at least meets expectations, they've got a good shot. Where does it hint? Yeah, I'll give, I'll
2: give you two, Sarah. It's two players that were prime free agent acquisitions last year uh, that did not meet expectations. It's Johnny Smith at tight end and Nelson Aguilar at wide receiver because you know the Patriots paid them – and it's funny now uh, with the way that pass catchers are getting paid, these don't even feel like big deals anymore, right? But Nelson Agholor got ten and a half million dollars, which is that's that's like a that's like what thirty percent of a Tyree Killer or Devonte Adams now, or forty percent. So uh, it may not be that much money in the big picture, but notable enough that he's you know got to produce more than he did last year. And Jonu Smith, same deal, twelve and a half million dollars per year, and you know, as Pitts obviously can tell you, I mean, Nelson Aguilar was just awesome for the Raiders in 2020, and we didn't see enough of that uh, for the Patriots last year. And Jonu Smith is a guy that his talent has never been the question. It's just been utilization. And last year, uh, it felt like early in the year there were some struggles that just kind of manifested themselves into more struggles. So if those two guys give the Patriots some real positive contributions, then – I think this team will be a much better offense, that much is for sure, and I think definitely in the mix in the AFC East. uh, Buffalo, to me, looks like the clear favorite in that division. I think they are a Super Bowl-ready team, but I think New England can, you know, I think last year we saw that if they weren't quite ready to explode on offense and still found a way to win 10 games, I think there's a chance they can get back double digits again this season.
0: Awesome stuff, Field. Uh, thanks for coming in and being the voice of reason for Fitz. We're gonna still let him dream. I'm gonna big fight you, Field, crushed. but you know that's okay. But- <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I
2: I think Fitz should be one of those people that gets a, a Super Bowl tattoo way in advance oh, no. of oh, the Super no. Bowl actually happening. Well, here's the reason why, Sarah. He's got so many other tattoos that if Fitz Fair. gets a Raiders Super Bowl, whatever Super Bowl it is this year, champions tattoo. No one's going to notice. It's just going to be one of the other many great tattoos that Fitz has. And if they win, he'll probably be, I don't know, the most popular person on the internet, which he's close to already. So he'll
1: be (laughs) twice as popular as he already is. I'm not doing it before, but it's not a bad idea after this year when the Raiders win the Super Bowl. Maybe I'll just get it out. of the way. I mean, what cool
2: is that? That's
1: yeah, everything. believe in your
0: team, man. Believe in your team and really own it. Not to mention, you know you've got all those tattoos of things you performed at. You could just pretend it's for playing the national anthem or something like that, and you could change the language underneath if they don't finish. I think you'd be a uh, uh, real uh, candy if you didn't.
1: Wow. And, uh, you're not the first or the last person That's to fair. call me That's a real fair. candy. That's all
0: hey, I have I couldn't think of a word I'm allowed to say on the air. <laughs> Field, thanks so much for the time. Appreciate Thank you, brother.
2: It. All right, guys. Take care.
0: Yeah, it's a problem sometimes. I'm on the air. My brain says all the words I'm not allowed to say. I went with candy. I apologize. NFL player. To the Super Bowl.
1: Who, I'm getting a tramp stamp that says uh, Super oh Bowl my on it. God, That's all I'm
0: Please, saying. please do. <laughs> Uh, Coming up on Spade It Fits, we'll close out the Power Hour. We're talking about an NFL player who bravely goes where no other player has gone before. At least not most of them. It's next.
1: Worth flying through a power hour of Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, SiriusXM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Spain and Fitz is presented by Progressive Insurance. Here to help you score big savings, to see how much you can save on auto insurance, visit Progressive.com. Obviously, the Home Run Derby coming up in just a little bit. You don't want to miss that. You can check it out in ESPN uh, on ESPN Radio, I should say. But before we get to that, Sarah, we were just talking about two-a-days. You know, and every year I feel like we get the same thing from every single athlete. It took one, one person that was willing to come in and be courageous enough not to show up at training camp in the best shape of their life. And I think we have finally, finally found that person as apparently, (laughs) according to reports, Leonard Fournette has shown up 30 pounds heavier after signing his new deal, 30 pounds. He got a new deal and showed up to camp for the Bucks Yoinks. at roughly 260 pounds for the 27-year-old. Put on 32 pounds since the last time they saw him, and since he signed a contract for more money. I at least appreciate the fact that he looks around. And he's like, you know what? I was enjoying the off season.
0: <laughs> uh, guess who doesn't appreciate that? Tom Brady. <laughs> now, couple things one the jokes are fun because it is true every single year we hear that about multiple players he's in the best shape of his life and i always want to be like show me the metrics i I mean you you gotta physical every year so if that's true like show me but more importantly leonard fournette is denying the story he is saying that it is not true that he showed up weighing 260 he's actually only 245 Uh, Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times was the one reported on his podcast that the team was displeased because of his weight, coaches are unhappy, etc. Leonard Fournette says, I weighed 245, y'all say anything. And he retweeted himself cleaning 325 pounds from earlier this month trying to prove that he's in shape and he can crush it. But yeah, I still think if you were 220-something... And now you're 245, you're probably still having a little bit of work to do, and especially if Tom Brady's giving you the side eye at 85 years old still just eating avocado ice cream instead of enjoying his life.
1: When you just signed a three-year, $21 million contract— the next time the team sees you, you probably shouldn't yeah. be tweeting out something that says, like, guys, it's not that bad. Right. Like, th- th- that's right, the, right. like that's the caveat that nobody really needed on this. And look, I, I, I do think that there's some element of these guys know how to get themselves in shape. But I love what you're saying because it's so true. I, I appreciate the honesty from somebody because, frankly, the way they're crushing their bodies over an 18 game season at this 18 week, 17 game season at this point. Uh, taking a little extra time to to get yourself right, like I respect that. It's just bad timing, maybe, to do that in the same year that you signed for a bunch of new cash. But you're right. I can only imagine for the TB12 guy to come in and be like, "Hey, I'm the TB32." Like it was just uh, you you went 12. I I put on 32 with my my off season. So avocado ice cream will be the the key that he needs. It's made and fits on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Series XM. Channel ladies, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Obviously, we mentioned that the home run derby is tonight. But, Sarah, one cool thing. I know we've got some polls out there. But one cool thing about tomorrow night that involves a little bit of the home run derby, if the all-star game is tied after nine innings, then each manager will pick three reps to go up for them, and they will have a mini home run derby to decide the outcome Whoa. of the game. It's like the NHL shootout. I'm all I'm all in for this.
0: I swear to God, this was a Stugatz idea years ago, but not for the All-Star game. He just wanted extra innings baseball games to be decided by a home run derby. I know he's not alone in that, but anytime Stugatz's ideas actually make the cut, I believe another one was to have a ball pit. That might have been a Billy Gill idea. A ball pit. In it, it passed the home run so that if you dove for a home run ball, you landed in a ball pit instead of Ooh. against fencing. Um, yeah, they, they wanted to spice up the game. Everyone's always trying to fix baseball. Uh, this was one of the ways. I kind of like this. Um, this is fun because again, there's this game does not decide home field advantage anymore in the World Series, so this is all about entertaining the fans. And uh, I guess they had to pick them in it in advance, maybe. Yeah, that's my bad. Um,
1: I guess they've already picked them. yeah.
0: Yeah. So Pete Alonso already got the call from brave skipper, Brian Snitger, Um, you know, had had a had to ask him if he would be willing to make it. John uh, Carlos Stanton. Uh, so Snitker picked uh, Ronald Acuna Jr., Kyle Schwarber and the Dusty Baker, Baker picked uh, Julio Rodriguez, Ty France and Kyle Tucker. Um, so uh, I kind of love this and I'm kind of hoping for a tie now. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I've never rooted for a tie in an all-star game of any sport until right now <laughs> in this moment where I've suddenly decided that that is the only way that we can have this thing end because I, I need to see this. And frankly, I know baseball people will blow me up for saying this out loud, but uh, I'd I'd love to see this any day, every day, all day for the regular season. So, you Ooh. know, d- don't give it to me in the playoffs, but yeah, Wait, give me all of this.
0: I've got a pop quiz for you, okay? Uh, the mm-hmm. all-star game began in 1933 how many times has it gone to extra innings
1: uh i don't know how many
0: well i'm asking you take a guess
1: seven that's a very low number
0: 13. both good vegas numbers i guess um yeah 13 times, last two times, 10 innings in 2017 and 2018. Teams have run short on pitchers a couple times uh, because you're trying to get as many pitchers in the game as possible by the ninth inning, right? Um, And so the 2002 game actually ended in a tie in 11 innings because there were no pitchers left. So I think they decided that was a very unsatisfying way to go out. So let's at least make sure we get all the pitchers in and then have a good out strategy, exit strategy.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... It's uh, 13 is just such a a random and low number when you think about the number of years that it's happened. So I just need it this year. We've asked, by the way, everybody on Twitter to chime in uh, as we're trying to figure out the best way to handle it. Uh, given that some people have been added to the All-Star Game, given that Kershaw's getting the start, the question that you asked and that we've got out here on Twitter is, what should it be? Who's hot now versus who's hot hot now and lifetime? Interesting, right now, hot now and lifetime is winning 53% to 47%, Hmm. basically. So I'm a little surprised uh, to see that everybody's in on lifetime achievement at the All-Star Game.
0: Yeah, I I guess it's people who are agreeing that, this is an opportunity to maybe get a chance to see some of those greats. And because it doesn't mean anything, they're okay with that. Fans love the legends. Uh, but, you know, for instance, the J-Man 831 said, All-Star Games for fans and fans love the legends. Home run derby is another issue. You definitely want who's hot and mashing now in that. So I do think like holes is kind of a weird weird tra- uh, choice for that.
1: Yeah, I, I think there's probably a fine line. And again, to the point that, that you just made, It speaks to how much particularly baseball fans love nostalgia, right? Like that's just such a huge part of the game.